Okay, well, Happy New Year, a day early. Um, we're starting a new series. I met, touched on it and mentioned it last week. Um, I get up here and teach the Bible every week. It's kind of an assumption in church, right? Bibles are just an assumption. Um, but we don't talk about it very often, so that's what we're going to do for a couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to talk about God's Word. Today, specifically what the Bible can do for you, me, okay? Uh, a couple questions at the beginning. How many of you have questions about the Bible? How many of you have questions? I have questions. I just read Revelation. You ever read Revelation? I got all kinds of questions, all those weird things. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what they are. Uh, the Bible's been around, at least the Old Testament, for over 3,000 years. It's been written by uh, multiple different people in different, different stages of life. Um, and so it's exciting. It has 1,189 chapters. If I gave you a book and said, ah, I'd like you to read this book. It's got 1,189 chapters. Most of you are going to say, no, there's no way I'm going to read that. <laughs> Nothing that long. Uh, but we're going to divide it up. So it's only a couple chapters a day. Now, another question. I want to see hands because I took count in the first service. How many have actually read the whole thing? Put your hand up. <laughs> <laughs> about a little less than half probably that's the average less than half people in churches not people outside church in churches have ever read the whole thing it's just kind of odd when you think about it right because you kind of believe it or believe most of it right but how can you believe it if you don't know what's in there right it's kind of a oxymoron almost anyway a uh, cute clip I want to show you about a preacher talking about us not reading the whole thing Put your hand up if you've read the Bible from cover to cover. Okay? Okay, forget the index and the maps, you know. <laughs> Genesis to Revelation. All right, hands down. The rest of you, okay, chill out about it. Don't feel too guilty yet. <laughs> Listen, when you get to heaven, it's going to be a little bit awkward. Because you're going to get there and Peter's going to go, welcome, we've been expecting you, come on in. Oh, let me introduce you to Obadiah. Obadiah says, did you like my book? You go, book, what book? And then he introduces you to Zephaniah. Zephaniah says, did you like my book? What, you wrote a book as well? Listen, you're not going to be able to have conversations with certain people. I'd urge you and encourage you, don't put yourself in that situation. Seriously. This is the only reliable data that we have about God. So, we don't want you to be in that awkward situation, so we're all going to read the Bible through this year, or we're going to at least attempt it, right? Um, Abraham Lincoln, my favorite president, I don't know which one is yours, but he's my favorite. He said this, I believe the Bible is the best gift God ever gave to man. Now, is that, do you agree with that, or you think that's ridiculous? I got thinking about eyesight's a great gift, and Hearing's a great gift, and taste, and smell. All these things are great gifts from God, right? Of course, Jesus, I think it's implied Jesus. But think about it this way. I can't, 
I'm sure there's no other book that has changed as many people's lives for the better than this book, right? So if no other book's ever done that, then it's a pretty strong argument, the fact that that's God's greatest gift to man. And as the pastor said, the preacher said, it's the only reliable source of information or data we have about God. So that's pretty awesome. That's pretty important. So we're going to look a lot, of, a lot about what this book says about itself. All right? And we're going to start in Psalm 19. The psalmist is writing. He says this. Now, he's going to use different words. He's not going to use the word Bible. We're going to see instructions, decrees, commandments, uh, etc. It all means the same thing. All right? The instructions of the Lord are perfect. Reviving your soul. So we don't have to worry about being, having a lot of mistakes in it. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, so consequently we can trust it. Making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right. They're not wrong, they're right. And they bring joy or satisfaction to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Well, some of them are clear. <laughs> But we think sometimes about, if I do what that book says, I'm not going to have any fun. It's going to ruin my fun. But just the opposite is said, it's going to bring you joy. It's going to bring you satisfaction. When we don't do some of those things, it brings just the opposite, doesn't it? It brings us pain and sorrow. The author goes on, the psalmist, reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Again, true, so they're trustworthy. They're not false. Each one is fair. I got to think about this fair thing. Um, one reason I love the gospel is because to me it's logical or fair with the assumption that there's a God, holy God, and a sinful man. So how do you fix that? Well, God said, I'll fix it for you. I'll send my son Jesus. He'll live a perfect life. So he doesn't deserve to die. The wages of sin is death, but he don't deserve to die, so he can die for someone else or for everyone else. And then, of course, he conquered death by raising from the dead. So it's logical and it's fair according to God's grace. It wasn't really fair to Jesus, I guess, but it's certainly fair to us. Uh, it goes on, and we saw this in the, in the opening video. More desirable than gold, gold, even the finest gold. What do you desire? You don't desire lots of things. If you've got a sports team, you desire they win, right? Uh, desire good health. We desire um, uh, financial security, I would think. Uh, most of us, I don't think, are going to ever be rich. Maybe we desire it. Um, good health, good relationships, lots of things we can desire, right? What's the most, uh, your, your, your priority, number one desire? They are sweeter, God's word, than honey, honey dripping from the comb. Then he has a warning. There's warnings in here, right? You do this, you're going to suffer for this. Kind of bad things are going to happen. Do this, good things are going to happen. So there are warnings to you, to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them, right? So you break them. Who said it? Somebody said it that God's, you don't break God's word. God's bre word breaks you, right? Uh, so when you disobey it, bad things happen to you. Uh, sometimes we get away with it or appear to get away with it. But so there's warnings in there, warnings about things that, We'll have negative consequences in our lives, and then, of course, instructions to have positive things happen in our lives. <clears throat> and then a verse, probably the most familiar verse in this psalm is, in this psalm is verse 14. 
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart or mind be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I don't know about you, but if I could realize that God hears every word I say, more than he hears every word I say, he knows every thought I think. I think I might change a little bit about what I think about and what I say. So again, we're going to kind of summarize some things the Bible says about itself. The first three are going to come from this psalmist, and then we're going to read some other passages. So verse 7, it said, Revive your soul when you're, I'm going to include, when you're discouraged. Some translations were, use the word refreshes. I, I love that image. I went for a hike yesterday, did about four miles. I came back, I was really thirsty. I made myself a drink, and I just almost drank half of it down to satisfy or refresh me. Uh, when you get hungry, you do the same thing with food. Well, God's word revives or refreshes our souls, especially when we're down, discouraged, kind of thinking negatively. Verse 7 also said, it makes you wise. Now, if I was to ask you or tell you that I know some way, way that I can make you wise or help you be wiser, you'd be interested, right? Well, this book promises that. Wiser how? Well, wiser in our relationships. Wiser in our finances. Wiser in our health. Wiser in our, obviously, in our relationship with God. Wiser in our morals. God's word can make us wise. I don't know about you, but I desire to be wise. Wise as a parent. Wise as a spouse. Certainly wise as a pastor. So, Wisdom in here. Uh, the psalmist goes on and gives insight for living. Uh, purpose, meaning, uh, significance. A lot of people, I'm getting older, I look back at my life and say, has my life had meaning, purpose, significance? And I, I, I thank God that I believe it has. But some people can look back and, nah, I don't know why I've even been here. So God's word will give us that. Um, some other things we can see from God's words. And this is just a short list. <laughs> it could be really long. Um, it's spiritually cleansing. Spiritually cleansing. And of course, that's why one reason we teach it. Uh, Paul's writing in Ephesians says this. Actually, he's comparing Christ's love for the church to a man's uh, husband's uh, love for his wife. And he says, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to sanctify her by cleansing her with the washing of the water. How is water washing me? No. The word. And especially before we became Jesus followers, and if you're not, we're glad that you've joined us. But I think we've all had a sense that, at times of feeling uh, dirty, for a better word, uh, in need of cleansing, right? We've done things, we're sorry we've done, we have regrets, whatever it might be. And, of course, God forgives us as we bring them to him. But even after we're believers, we still sin. And so God's word can bring us, I, I, I can read in there, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me for my sins. Well, yeah, God, once again, I've done something stupid, but thank you that we still have this loving relationship because you love me unconditionally, etc., etc. And I can get cleansed in my mind and my heart. The Bible is a spiritual weapon. Spiritual weapon. We are in a battle. 
the evil one, Satan, the devil, whatever term you want to use, doesn't want you <laughs> serving God. He doesn't want you reading his word. And in chapter 6 of Ephesians, Paul talks about spiritual armor. And he says, we've got to resist evil. And we've got to resist the enemy and, and stand firm. And he gives us, we call it the, uh, the armor of God. There's the, see if I can get them all right this time. Uh, the belt of truth, the blessed, blessed plate or body armor of righteousness, uh, the helmet of salvation, the shoes of peace, uh, shield of faith. Now these are all defensive weapons. These are all weapons for protection. But then we get to the last, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now a sword can be used defensively, but it's the only part of the armor can, you can use offensively, isn't it? To go on the attack. And that's one reason it's so important that we know God's word. Because it is our offensive weapon against evil. It goes on. It reveals truth about yourself. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's not so good. Or we don't feel so good about it, do we? Uh, about some of our shortcomings. Uh, Hebrews, author of Hebrews puts it this way. For the word of God is alive. No other book's alive, is it? It's interesting. When you read this book, it's just different than reading other books. And it's powerful, consequently, since it's alive, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting. Why, why is it so sharp? Because it can cut between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It can get inside you and dissect you, which isn't always comfortable, is it? It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Some of those aren't so good, are they? And so consequently it, it, consequently, it requires a decision on our part what to do with that. Am I going to uh, deal with those things in my life that I need to, to improve or change? Or am I going to continue on in that path? The Bible produces enjoyment and a long life. Uh, Moses had just led the Israelites for 40 years and he'd given them the law and he, he has this summary about the law. He says this, take to heart all the words of warning I've given you today. There's lots of warnings in here, right? Things not to do. Pass them on as a command to your children so they will obey every word in those instructions. So parents, important that you teach it to your kids. You bring them here. We teach them a little bit, but we don't teach them enough. You need to teach them. These instructions are not empty words. They are your life. Makes a difference between life and death. By obeying them, you will enjoy a long life. So, there's, a, there's a, a sense of joy. There's a sense of uh, extent, extension of life. Um, I don't know. If I have a horrible life, I don't think I would want a long life. Would you? But we have a good life, so we want a long, long life. Uh, something that's always been important to pre people like me that preach and teach God's word is it always produces fruit. I don't always see it. If you teach God's word, you don't always see it. But he, and when you read it, you don't always see it. But we had this fantastic, wonderful promise that God's word always produces fruit. The old King James says, will not return void. Some of you are familiar with that. It's the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. Does something good. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. What a wonderful promise. 
So I get to have the privilege of getting up here every week and teaching it, knowing that it will bear or produce fruit. Bible obviously leads to success. We've already read that once. But then after Moses dies, Joshua takes over. And they're on the, the east side of the Jordan River, ready, ready to go into the promised land. But the promised land is inhabited by other people, right? <laughs> so it's going to include a lot of bloodshed and war and battle. And so the message of God comes to Joshua. And it's recorded this way. Be strong and very courageous. Because it's not going to be easy what you're facing, right? Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them. Turning either to the right or to the left. It's so easy for us to deviate a little bit, right? Uh, I don't know if God really means that. Uh, water it down, whatever. He said, no, 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 don't do, don't do that. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. In this case, conquer the promised land. Then he goes on in the next verse and says this. Uh, he encourages obedience. Encourages obedience. Study the book of instructions. There's another term for the Bible. Continually. Meditating day and night. That's what, we, what we're talking about. It's so important to partake of God's word, read God's word, study God's word daily. Most of us eat every day, right? Well, this is our spiritual food. We should partake of it daily. Be sure to obey everything written in it. If you don't read it, you don't know what it says, you can't obey it, right? Just common sense. Only then you'll prosper and succeed in all you do. And then the next verse has this wonderful promise. The Bible has thousands of promises. It promises God's presence. You want God's presence? I want God's presence. Well, how do I get God's presence? Well, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. All right? So I don't think about that. I may not even know that unless I read God's word. And then we get to the end of... Uh, the conquering of the promised land. Right? So they've, they've conquered the promised land. They've, it's now is what we call Israel. Okay? And he said, Joshua's, every good promise the Lord your God made has come true. Every promise. Everyone. The same way his other promises will come true. This was specifically about conquering the promised land. So I did a little uh, thinking back over my life and the influence of God's Word. So I didn't start going to church until I was about 13. Some of the church, others of you, maybe not until you were an adult. So I'm sitting in Sunday, these Sunday school classes when I'm 13, and I'm hearing these stories for the first time. I don't know anything about Bible and all that stuff. And it was just fascinating to me. I was just, just so captivated by it. It was interesting. The guys, the kids, it was in a boys' class. So we're all boys. The boys that grew up in church, they were kind of bored. But I wasn't bored. I found this was exciting. And then I was told I should read the Bible through every year. And so, I don't know, dumb enough is the right word. I'm, tell me this is what I should do. This is what I do. Okay? So from the age of 14, if not 14, by 15, I started reading the Bible through every year. And by God's help, I've done it ever since. So if you know how old I am, you know that's over 50 times. I've read the whole thing. All right, so then I mentioned last week uh, I, I wanted to go into engineering when I graduated from high school. And during that summer, God started knocking on my head, I guess. 
and saying, no, 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 I got a better profession for you. <laughs> it's being a pastor. Now, I've been a pastor for, let's say, been married 47 years, 46 years, uh, different places. I could have not chosen a better profession for my life. Not always been easy, it's a hard job, but it's a, such a rewarding and fulfilling job, profession, whatever. I would have never entered it on my own. Then, uh, fast forwarding about seven years, I happened to finish school, and then I show up at this little church, actually below Keatesville, and I met a young lady there that became my life partner. Uh, wouldn't have happened otherwise, would it? Obeying God's word and obeying God's direction in my life. And I look back at our 47 years together, and she is my life partner. And we've had children together, and now we have grandchildren together. We are financially stable. We're going to talk about money a little bit uh, soon. Majority of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. I can't imagine how horrible it is. And I know some of you are in that situation. Because God's blessings on our life and teaching God's word, we've managed our finances, and we're not in that situation. So is any of this luck or coincidence? No, none of it is. And you all have, or most of you probably have your own stories. <clears throat> so I want to share you some specific historical events, if you will, about is God's word really done what it says it's going to do? All right? So we're going to start off with this Indian tribe in Colombia, uh, South America. Um, up until the 1960s, they were headhunters. 1960s, you know, during my lifetime. They were headhunters. They were, they were feared by all the tribes around them. And they killed every white man that entered their tribe. In fact, in the 1960s, a couple of Catholic priests went in there and they macheted them to death. I don't know how this happened, but a guy by the name of Bruce Olson at 17 entered this tribe. They shot him an arrow in his leg, but then for whatever reason, they uh, took care of him. He came back to in that tribe, with that tribe for the next five years, learning their language. And they told of, of, of this legend that they had, where this prophet was going to come, and he was going to share a banana stalk with them. And he thought, that was so odd, that was so strange. So one day, <laughs> they came with machete and, and, and slashed open a banana stalk, and it folded out like this. And Bruce said, that looks like a book. So he happened to have a Bible with him. And so he went and got his Bible and he said to them, this is God's banana stalk to you. And within months, hundreds of their tribesmen became believers. Within five years, they were helping the tribes around them. And even to this day, they serve in the, in the government of uh, Columbia. God's word transformed them. There's a picture. <laughs> Evidence that Bible does what it claims. How many of you have seen the movie Bounty, Bound, uh, Mutiny on the Bounty? I saw it a long time ago. I don't remember very well. Anyway, it's about 
uh, ship in the 1790 that the crew mutinies, all right? Now, this is in uh, Tahiti or someplace around there. So they realized that the British government is going to catch up with them and going to uh, execute them all. So they took off, took some of the Polynesian people with them, men, women, and children, and went to an uncharted island at the time. It's Picarns, I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, they get there, they make a still, start producing alcohol, and basically stayed dr drunk 24-7. As a result of that, there were squabbles and fights and murders and suicides, and eventually all the Polynesian men died, and all but one uh, Caucasian, we call it, white man, survived. And this guy's name was John Adams, came across the Bible and the stuff from the ship, and he started reading it. And he got, as we would say, saved or transformed. And then, of course, he started teaching uh, the men, uh, no, men, other men, women and children that were on the island with him. About five years later, the British government catches up with him. <laughs> and so uh, the ship stops there, and the logical thing would be to arrest John Adams and take him back to England or execute him there, right? But here was a recommendation from the British folks that visited the island. We believe you ought to just leave them alone. It's like a golden age. That's how they described the culture on that island. Quite a contrast to when they first arrived and living with drunkenness. God's word made the difference and changed them. A couple others real quick and then we'll, we'll finish up. Uh, a guy by the name of Robert Rakes lived in the 1700s in England. I'll back up a little bit. In 1738, a person named John Wesley, some of you have a Methodist background, he was the founder of Methodist Church. He started what we call home Bible studies. With a Now, do you know why you're called, the Methodists are called Methodists? Because of the method of Bible teaching that they had. It was different than what was in the church of those days. And so, began in 1738. Uh, By 1790, there was 100,000 of these Bible studies in England. But back up about 10 years, a guy by, of, of Rakes uh, felt bad about the poor children who had to work in the factories. 12 hours a day, six days a week. Uh, of course, they didn't go to school. They didn't learn to read. So he began, or he promoted, he wasn't the first one, but he promoted or the pioneer of the Sunday school movement. So he said, the only day I can teach these kids is on Sunday. So originally, Sunday school was to teach poor children how to read. And of course, what did they use as their text? I know some of you have been around as long as I have. I remember back in the 70s after the... Vietnam War, there's a lot of Vietnam, Vietnam refugees, even here in Hagerstown. And so I remember uh, Weston, no, it was the Virginia Avenue Baptist Church, would have a class to teach English to the Vietnamese. And of course, what was their text that they used to teach? God's Word. So it happened in the hundreds of years ago, it's still happening today. Uh, one other, real quickly, and I wanted to mention this because of your folks' generosity over Christmas. Who knows who William and Catherine Booth are? Anybody? 
Just my wife. They're the founders of the Salvation Army. And uh, many of your gifts we took to a lady to take the Salvation Army last, last Sunday. Anyway, the car was pretty full. Uh, we got to her house and she said, just leave it on the porch. She was busy in the kitchen. So she just had this little stoop. She lives in uh, Whispering Hills. <laughs> she had this little stoop. So we had packages all stacked up on her, on her stoop and on her steps and everything else. Of course, later when she went to see them, she, she just responded with, uh, she was overwhelmed. So because of your generosity, she said, oh, she already knew. And I, I know a single, single uh, lady with a baby poor, poor, that can benefit from this gift and that gift. So thank you for your generosity, even today. Salvation Army does a great work. Now, I messed this up in the first service. I came across a list of, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, Salvation Army, um, these type of people. Um, and it said how much their, their hierarchy uh, earns. And best to worst, um, Salvation Army was at the top. I don't think if they take any money at all, the people that run the place. I, I guess they do. But very little goes to executives. Other organizations, many more do. So, this happened in the 1700s in England. In the 1800s, what do we know about England? Well, England became a, not a Christian nation, but a predominantly Christian country. And... What's the expression, the uh, sun never set on the British Empire? Of course, some of that was bad, but part of that was the gospel was spread over the whole world. Missionaries went out. A major missionary sending country in the 1800s was England. Not so much anymore. In the 1850s, the uh, probably low point spiritually of, uh, in the United States, but in 1857, called a revival broke out. And people began to study God's word. In fact, one reason for the Civil War was, was because people started studying God's word and saw injustice in the world. And so that blossomed. And in, in, in the 1900s, of the 20th century, who was the most powerful nation in the world? The United States. And who was the major sending, missionary sending country in the world? The United States. Don't think that's by accident. It's going to be interesting to see who takes our place in the 21st century. So let's finish up with a psalm. Psalm 1. First three verses in the Psalms. Oh, the joys for those who do, do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join with the mockers. We all have a choice of who we spend time with, right? He said, joy for those who choose not to hang out with those type of people. On the flip side, or contrary, they delight in the law of the Lord, again, meditating on day and night, daily. They are like trees planted along the riverbanks. Beautiful word picture. Bearing fruit each season. Leaves never wither. They prosper in all they do. So you've got to know what it says, right? So here's the next steps, and we'll make it as clear as possible, simple as possible. I want you all committing to read God's word daily. That's the important part. We like to read it through this year, but if you don't read it through, that's okay. Just read it some. In fact, if you don't want to do the whole Bible, you can just pick that New Testament section. It's in your bulletin, or your outline. 
We have hard copy, yeah, hard copies for the whole year. Right? Commit to reading it. Uh, majority of you never read it through. That would be exciting if you, this would be the first time you do it. Choose a translation. Uh, if you don't like reading, you can actually listen to it. It's easy to do, especially if you have an app on your, on your phone. If you spend 15 minutes a day in your car, you can do this just in your car, listening to it. Pretty easy. I, one year I did, did do that. <clears throat> and choose a plan of action. I'll guarantee you, even if you commit to reading it every day, you're going to miss a day. I missed a day a couple of weeks ago. I was sick in bed all day. Didn't read God's Word that day. Now, my plan of action is I make it up. Your plan of action may be you skip it. Uh, whatever your plan of action is. I thought about if you skip 30 times during a year, then if you read it through the month of January next year, you would have go back and pick it up or whatever way you do it. So if it takes you 13 months to read through it, that's perfectly fine. You still have that accomplishment of reading the whole way through. Choose a time, a place, in your car. I'm going to get up early and read it. I'm going to read it during my lunch break, uh, whatever it might be. Those of you who have family gatherings, you can read it as a family uh, before you eat or after you eat sometime in the evening. Um, post on social media. Those of you who are on social media, say, hey, I'm excited about this. Our church is doing this. I'm going to read, try and read the Bible or read the Bible every day, whatever you want to put it. And I'm excited about joyfully anticipating the transformation. You cannot read this book and not be transformed, obviously, for the better. So that's my challenge to you. Pray about that. Uh, it'll be exciting as we work through this this coming year. I gave you the simplest form I could think through the Old Testament, straight through, and through the New Testament, straight through. Some of you have other plans you like to follow. That's fantastic. You do that. So let me pray with you, and we'll, we'll close. Uh, Father God, uh, we have this amazing book, reliable information about you. None of us have ever seen you, but we know so much about you and what you're like and what, how you, much you love us and what you've done for us. We thank you that we have that. Oh, there's questions in there, but there's enough problems with the stuff we understand that we don't have to worry about the stuff we don't understand. And so first and foremost, we pray for anyone who's never stepped across that line, <clears throat> never asked for forgiveness, that today would be the day. They would understand this is real, this is alive, this is powerful. Most of us here are watching or listening are Jesus followers. And as, as the statistics tell us, most of us don't read it very much. Forgive us for that. Uh, maybe we see it as boring. Maybe we see it as a waste of time. God, I pray we don't. That we see the huge value in studying your word. So I'm excited about what you're going to do in our midst, not individually, but as well as a church, as we commit ourselves to you and to your word. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.